Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you. Gotcha. By the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on Mike Terwilliger, who is the head coach of Bloomington High School in Bloomington, Minnesota, but he is also the new program's manager for Minnesota Hockey, which is the USA Hockey arm of Minnesota. Uh, Mike grew up in the great city of Edina, Minnesota, has gone up and went to play at St. Lawrence University, where he played for one Joe Marsh and also Pierre Maguire. So we'll get some Pierre McGuire stories in this podcast. Uh, after that, he actually became a teacher for a long time in the Minnesota area. So we had some great conversation about that. Now he is the head coach of Bloomington High School, along with his job with Minnesota Hockey. So this was a fantastic interview, uh, again, with a great Minnesota hockey mind. But before we do get over to Twig, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's shaking, man? Not much, brother. Just happy again to be uh, healthy and over that sickness. And I obviously miss this uh, podcast again, too, because we we taped it last week. So that's kind of a butt clap for me. But <laughs> I'm excited to listen to it. I listened to the one that came out on Monday and did a great job and learned a lot of stuff. And uh, again, just uh, excited to excited to be on the other side of it as as a listener and not someone participating in it. <laughs> so you kind of like kind of get to get to take more notes and listen more and and just participate in this whole podcast thing we do a little bit differently and it's it's cool to have different perspective like we always talk about so it's kind of fun to be on the other side now yeah you feeling better yeah thank god (laughs) God. yeah well it's funny just i think we should mention we were talking off air if that's what you want to call it before we press the record button here and just talking about sickness and how a lot of it just is because of like just life and it could be exacerbated by stress and, and stuff like that and i think that's important because i've been feeling a little bit but i'm actually very very content and happy right now because so I'm the hockey director for this new hockey association up here in, in New York, right? And that comes with a lot of stress and making decisions and learning about things and all that kind of stuff. But the one thing that has caused me to be just extremely content is I my number one job right now is just to surround myself with good people. That's what the hockey think tank is built around. Just get the best people together, challenge each other, learn from each other, and then provide some type of a product that can help the greater good of the game of hockey. And so it's it's really interesting because we can get caught up in all the BS. We can get caught up in all the, I don't know if politics is the right word, but all the jockeying that goes on, especially at this time of year. And I was just thinking to myself the other day, you know what? Just surround yourself with good people and everything will work out. And I've been confronted with some different situations that have really like gut punch in terms of like people having bad motives and doing things for their own kids or doing things for the wrong reasons. And I've just come to the conclusion is like, hey, even if they're like good hockey coaches or, you know, people that know the game, I don't want to be surrounded by those kinds of people. I don't want to work with those kinds of people. And those kinds of people aren't going to have the right influence on the kids that I'll ultimately be in charge of putting in place the things that they need to, to develop. So I just, I'm in a great spot right now because, and I even made this decision a couple years ago in terms of a working environment, like I'm only going to work with people that I enjoy working with. If I'm able to run my own company and I'm able to do things on my terms, my most important decision is, again, I want to be happy. 
I want to be content and fulfilled with what I do. And the only way you can really do that is to surround yourself with good people. So I'm in a great spot right now, man, because I was feeling it a little bit, feeling a little stressed. There's some things with this organization that need to change. Um, So that's been, I don't want to say keeping me up at night, but certainly kept the mind going. Um, But hey, at the end of the day, surround yourself with the right people and things will fall into place. Yeah. And then on top of that, like when you, when you love the people you're working with and you love what you're doing, like you're going to be better at it too. Like there's no doubt about it. Like I, I, I could have expanded my business so much sooner than, than I have, but like, I was like, nah, I like working with who I'm working with. I like the guys that I choose to work with. I like the hours that I choose to work. Like I, I don't want to have to expand before I have to just for and giggles just for expansion's sake and it's like that definitely has helped keep me sane too like i totally understand what you're saying you are the people you surround yourself with and so if you want to be in a good mood and you want to be a productive person and always trying to get better you got to surround yourself with people just like that yeah and and be okay with that because it's one of the things like i had a coaches meeting yesterday with all of the coaches that are in the organization right now and whether you talk to parents, there's always going to be, um, you know, there's always going to be like arguments about the coaches. And when you're with the coaches, there's always going to be arguments about the parents and all that kind of stuff. And basically what I told the coaches is, hey, let's put a plan together. Let's surround yourself with good people that can help you to get better in things. And if people don't like that, that's fine. Like, that's okay. If there's people that are going to cause problems, because it's not all the parents, it's usually like one or two, and it's usually one or two coaches within an organization that cause problems too, and you put your plan in place, and you put structures and, and philosophies in place, and if they don't want to buy into that, then then that's okay. Well, you don't even want those people around anyway, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally agree. <laughs> but we get caught up, everybody gets so caught up in like the my hockey rankings and the recruiting and making sure you have the best kids. Yeah, you want to have the best kids so that you can challenge the people within the room. But at what cost? Oh, Honestly, at what cost? Thank you for saying that. I remember we were at tryouts last year or something and actually two, so not this season, so tryouts over last summer, two summers ago, and it was my first year coaching, my first year being retired from playing. And my organization was talking about, oh, I don't know if this kid's good enough to be on the team. I don't know if it'll help us. We should, we should bring an out-of-town kid in. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Like, I'm all about helping St. Louis kids and, and helping our community first and then going out if we absolutely have to. But like, I don't care about having the best kid in the country. I care about the kid that's in our backyard who we can help. We're going to make him better. And it's so much about that. The, well, we got to win in my hockey ring. And no, I don't care. I want to make all these kids that are from St. Louis way better at the end of the year than the start of the year. And that's all I care about. Yes. I want to teach them to want to win, how to win the ways to win, to want to win at everything they do. Yes. But that also is a process and you can teach that. And so it doesn't matter if I start with the kid who is the best kid in the city, but he's a piece of shit or from out of town or a kid who's just, eh, but he cares a lot. I'll take that kid who cares a lot, 10 out of 10 times. Yeah. And I just want to surround everything I do with that type of motive versus the other one, the quick fix that get there at all costs immediately, because in the long run that doesn't work out. Yeah. And, and I tell the story and I told it to the coaches yesterday about, uh, about Stan and the process of going through my experience with him from Peewees to Bantams and how much he helped me. But the thing was, is like we had two different teams in Chicago at the time. We had the one team that had the not as great coach, not as great culture, but had a lot of the talent. And then you had 
Stan's team, which had little, little to no talent, um, but had a great coach and a great culture. So at the beginning of the year, that first year that we had the two different teams, we got smoked by the better team. Um, and so got smoked, got smoked, got smoked. But by the end of the year, we were beating that team because we had a great culture and a great coach and we all got better. So then what happens the next year? That team recruited the best three or four players off of our team to go to that team. So now we're even left with less talent. But my parents, thank God, they said, you're not going to play for that coach. You're going to stay with this culture. You're going to stay with this guy because you're getting better. So year number two, what happens? We get smoked in the beginning of the year because our talent level wasn't as good. But then by the end of the year, we're beating that team. We actually won the league that year as probably an A slash double A team beating triple A teams and beating the team that has all the talent in our city. So then what happens? All the people on the other side are saying, what is going on over on that side? Why are they beating us? Well, it's because they have a great culture and it's because they have a great coach that cares about the kids. And so they're like, okay, maybe we should go over and join. So then all the kids, the best kids in the city got together with the good culture, with the with the good coach and what happens we win the national championship next year and i hear and it was in our coach's room yesterday i hear it it's like how do we got to get the best players we got to get the best players we need more talent we need more talent it's like no you need to do a good job as a coach you need to create a culture with your parents and with your team as a family and then you will attract the players because if you're putting because everybody talks Everybody talks, right? Especially at this time of year. Everybody's jockeying. Everybody's talking, trying to figure out what they want to do for next year and everything like that. If you put a great product together and the people enjoy coming to the rink and enjoy each other as a group, what more can you ask for as a family or as a player if your kid is getting better and you enjoy the experience rather than it being stressful and worrying about all the kinds of stuff that everybody has to worry about? Yeah, what's what's your barometer? Like, I think people need to change their barometer. You don't need to go into a season and be in like, oh, well, I, you know, if we don't win the national championship, this year's a bust. What? Your kid's playing hockey. Like, your goal is to get as good as you can day after day after day and continue to climb that mountain so that you're getting better and you're learning new things and you're exposing yourself to new situations. You're playing in all areas of the ice. You're learning. That's what matters, not winning, especially like parents, like the parents listening to this, like, obviously I don't have a child and my mom always reminds me of this because she listens to the podcast every single episode. And she's like, you always need to remember that you're coming from a different vantage point than a parent. And I'm like, I'm always constantly trying to remember that. And I do need to talk about that more. Like, obviously it's very hard. You want the best for your kid. I truly believe that you and I have the best interest of every kid who listens, every kid who's playing at heart. Like I, and I just liken that to, I had a uh, USHL player who I trained call me the other day. He's got a commitment to a D one university and now he's got, he's playing really well. All the big schools now want to want him to decommit and commit to a big one. And he's asking me, you know, should I do it? Should I not? Like, is this going to help me go pro blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's literally the same thing. And I'm like, dude, like you want to go where you're going to get the most ice time, where you're going to play, where there's a good culture and you're going to have opportunity. If your goal is to go pro and you want to go play for a BU or a Michigan and they've got the best goalies coming in and there's only four spots and only one's playing every game, is that better than going to a smaller school where maybe you're the one or two guaranteed coming in and you've got way more chance? What's going to help you get to the NHL? Like playing for that smaller school. I went to Western Michigan because I knew 
that I would play immediately. I knew it. I had offers to massive schools that were my dream schools. And I chose Western, which I had never even heard of, honestly, before they started talking to me. And I wind up signing an NHL deal as a guy who nobody knew who I was going into college. Like, you got to do what's best for you. And that doesn't mean following wins. It's about development. Well, the other thing, too, and you got me... We- we triggered. You got me triggered right now because <laughs> coming from that world. So for everybody listening right now, if you have, honestly, if you have schools that are asking you to decommit from your school to go to theirs, what does that say about their culture and their character? And what's to say that they're not going to do the same freaking thing to you if you don't pan out after your freshman year? Yep. You think they honor the word commitment? Yep. You think they honor the word commitment? Why would you go to a school that is asking you to decommit from your school? What does that say about them? Yep. In all honesty. Yep. I remember thinking that. I remember my junior coach. I got my NLI, my national letter of intent to sign to play at Western Michigan uh, like the day the season ended or something. Because back when we played, you didn't commit going into the the USHL, into college. I had to wait till January to decide where I wanted to go to school of my third year of juniors. <laughs> so the season's almost over thinking I might have to come back. Uh, I ripped it up. What's up that month and got a scully and whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember my coach coming in and being like, Hey, I'm not going to say the school, a very big school wants you to decommit. They'll give you a full ride if you play one more season. And I remember thinking right away, like, uh, that's an honor that a school that big wants me to play, but absolutely not. That's so shady. Cause this was like way before like decommitments were like, even yeah. like a, a common thing. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that's brutal. Like, no, I already committed to Western and no. Yeah. I, again, it goes back to surround yourselves with good people. And if you have people that are asking you to decommit, what does that say about what they think about the word commitment? It means nothing. Yeah. All of their credibility is gone. It's lost. There's none of it. And it, it rattles me so much because coming from a college coach too, what those people, and they should understand this, how much work went into the relationship that the other team has built with that kid, how many dollars they've spent flying out to go and see them, maybe going and sitting in their house with their family and, and all of that kind of stuff. All of that work would be for nothing. But at the same time, it's the, the honor of the game is important to me and it's important to a lot of people within the game and it's being lost at a more rapid pace now than ever. And so what I would tell people, and there's probably going to be a lot of people because this is a Minnesota podcast that are going to be listening to this with hopes of playing college hockey. Again, surround yourselves with good people with good values. That's how you're going to get to where you're going to go to. Because to me, that kind of message that that team is sending to you, asking you to decommit from a school is they don't care about you. They could care less about the people within their program. That's just my opinion. They might. I don't know. But that's the the signal and that's the message that it sends to me is that that it happens and it's it's wrong. And I I just want to forewarn people that if they're dealing with that kind of a thing, what does that say about that? And that might happen to you. Yeah. Your first after your first year, what if you know? What if you don't play that well in your first year, or maybe your second year, and all of a sudden you're like they come in and. Uh, hey, it's not really working out here. You know, and you should expect it because commitment's not a really big thing to them. They're going to bring in the next person who might be better, um, and it's it's you know it's wrong. Yeah, commitment's a three letter word to them. <laughs> Lie, L I E. I was wondering where you were going. With Mic that. drop. <laughs> 
Oh, Anyways, man. off our tangent, we both got triggered there. Sorry. No, you know what? But it's good stuff to talk about, honestly, because in this world, and it goes back to what we were talking about at the start of this thing, you want to surround yourself with people that care. You want to surround yourself with people that when they talk, you know they're telling the truth. And you know that they have the best interests of everybody at heart. And I've ran into a few people, a few people that I'm actually kind of close with that I don't trust anymore at all going through this process because they have made decisions that are what's best for them. And it's going to leave a, a path and a trail that is just going to screw so many other kids. And it's, you know, it's, it's bad. I'm probably going to lose friends over some of the decisions that were made, but that's okay. Because again, surround yourself with good people that make you feel good about yourself and align with your values. And then you're not going to, you're not going to go wrong. Yeah, you're never going to miss those people in the end anyways. Ugh, no. But anyway, we went on some tangents here. This is a nice little rant we had going on here. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like when we go on. I like when we get triggered. It's my <laughs> favorite, actually. Um, but we did uh, have a great conversation with uh, with Mike Terwilliger. Uh, he's done some amazing things in the Minnesota hockey realm. We talk about the community-based model, the pros and the cons, and how it's kind of getting lost nowadays. Uh, we had a, a, pretty, a couple pretty good Pierre Maguire stories. That was a new one. I had no idea that he was a coach at St. Lawrence when he was there. So I know everybody gets, let's call it triggered since we've been talking about that throughout this episode, um, uh, about Pierre Maguire. But another thing that we talk about too, is they did an unbelievable thing that blew up on social media this year where they didn't honor the game tournament, uh, where they had the refs come out and the refs introduced themselves to the parents and to the players before, uh, before the games to, to create a, a good culture and environment for the game. They had the parents actually sitting with each other and they had to shake hands before the game and stuff like that. So they did all these crazy, like cool things. So I we talked that. about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was a great success up there uh, and a great job by Twig to, to get that going. So we talk about the Minnesota hockey model. Uh, we talk about growing up in Minnesota um, and, and how he grew up through it and being now as a high school coach, uh, how cool it is being up there. So uh, great conversation. We certainly missed you again. Uh, you bring the pizzazz to, to all of these conversations. Tried my best to, to fill in. Uh, you just but, said pizzazz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm on fire right now. Nerd. <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear about that uh, that game because I put a tweet out. I'm, I, I don't even know when it was two weeks ago. Who knows about uh, refs and like people yelling at refs because oh, a, a parent who listens to us messaged me um, and told me about his son getting yelled at uh, in a might game. And I tweeted out like kind of what he said. And then people were going back and forth or whatever. And like, I don't know, man, I, I going back, I, I always am trying to think about the game of hockey as, um, as a metaphor, as a teaching tool for life, for these kids and, and all the lessons that I feel like I had instilled into me from hockey and, and how that's helped me throughout my life as a captain on every team. And then as a, as an entrepreneur, as a business leader, as a coach, whatever. And man, like, I feel like we just got to stop yelling at the refs. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the parents, like we've had, we had, we were in Chicago. We had a parent on one of the Chicago teams, ask our dad to go, one of our dads to go out in the parking lot and fight him. And another dad was like standing there telling me the story about how it happened. And, you say classy, Chicago. Like, like <laughs> unbelievable. I, look, I am the most competitive human ever. I hate losing at everything I do just as much as I love winning at everything I do. However, like you still, when you're a kid and like you're in this stuff, 
like you're teaching them life lessons, how to be a good person, like how to be a, if you lose, lose graciously and then learn from it. If you win, win graciously, learn from it, whatever. And like all of these things could be in a good sport, like not yelling at the refs, like, cause that's a respect thing for teachers, for bosses, for life. Like we just, we got to clean this game up a little bit, uh, because I think the competitive aspect has clouded a lot of the goodness that, that, uh, the game has brought to so many. And I just think that we need to get back to that. And people are like, oh, hey, you're uh. no kids shouldn't be yelling at the ref. Coaches should not be yelling at the ref. A coach can talk to the ref, bring the ref over. And then you could talk to him face to face. Now you're not screaming across the ice. If you're getting kicked out of hockey games as a might squirt peewee coach, you're a joke. Look in the mirror, unless kids are being injured on the ice because the ref is not doing his job to protect the game. If you're losing the game because the ref made a hard call, shut up, shut up. Like look in the mirror. Okay. He's a kid refing probably. And even if he's not, he's probably some bender who can barely skate. And even if he is a great skater, go ref a game. It's impossible to see everything on the ice at the same time. Look in the mirror. What message are you sending to your kids on the bench? You yell at the ref. They're yelling at the ref. They got, you got no respect. They have no respect. Sorry, triggered, triggered again. again. Triggered again. Because <laughs> I missed last week, so we I didn't should, to, like, just we should just, honestly when uh, I name when I name this episode, we should do like Mike Terwilliger slash huge rant <laughs> in the intro. Mike Trigger Terwilliger, <laughs> which is actually Sorry, funny because he's like the nicest guy in the world too. So us getting all heated right now, it's just totally not the tenor of of the actual conversation that we had. Uh, but Sorry. we've we've gone on for quite a bit here, so we should actually get over to Twig. But obviously, before we do get over there, we want to have some people to thank. Jeffrey, would you like to take it and start it off? The Hockey Think Tank podcast would like to thank our title sponsor, Gel Sticks, G-E-L-S-T-X. Go to gelsticks.com for all your weighted training hockey needs. They also have golf, lacrosse, baseball coming soon. You want to get better? Gel Sticks is your boy. Hockey Think Tank code is Think Tank. Gelsticks.com for a discount. <laughs> that was like a 7 out of 10. Yeah, eight, eight out of ten, maybe. I had last week off, right? I gotta get back, <laughs> gotta get back in the group, bro. Oh, I like it, and uh, we'll get over to it here in a sec. But uh, again, thank you everybody for for tuning in and listening. Again, this thing keeps growing and growing and growing, and we appreciate everybody for tuning in and listening. Uh, if you can help us to spread the word by sending it to your parent groups and sending it to your organization social media pages, uh, leave us a review, leave us a rating, anything that you can do to provide us any type of feedback uh, is greatly, greatly appreciated. And we've been getting more and more of that, and uh, with that, we're able to, to tailor some of our conversations and tailor some of our guests to who we bring on to what you guys want to hear. So any kind of feedback that we can get from you, uh, we really appreciate it. Any way that you guys can help us to spread the word, we appreciate it as well. And with that, we have a great conversation coming right to you with Mike Terwilliger, head coach of Bloomington Hockey in Minnesota and new programs manager with Minnesota Hockey. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, all the way from the great state of Minnesota, new hockey programs manager for Minnesota Hockey, Mike Terwilliger. How are you doing today, Mike? 
You better. How are you doing, Topher? I'm good. I'm good. We're excited to get you on and, and talk about uh, Minnesota hockey and uh, all the great things that you guys are doing out there for, for the kids and for the families. Uh, but before we get over to that, let's bring it way, way, way back. He grew up in Edina, which is a, a hockey powerhouse, although I shouldn't maybe say that because you're coaching in a different city right now, so I might get you in trouble <laughs> if you say anything good about him. Um, but uh, you grew up in Edina. What was that like growing up, and uh, how did you get your, your passion started? in the game well th- thanks for having me on first i'm excited excited to be on here and 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 I, i've list, been listening to your podcast and following you the last last year so it's uh it's an honor to be on the podcast so thanks for asking me thank you um as far i was i was really lucky you know it, uh when i grew up i think the time i grew up and also the place i grew up um just i grew up with uh with great parents and two great sisters and as far as a, a kid's kind of growing up it was unbelievable you know we had just a, a neighborhood of kids and so we just played everything so kind of like that stereotypical whatever sport was in season we were playing and we played three or four sports in a day and so we just kind of ran around all the time and and as far as the hockey goes so besides playing all those different sports I, I got into hockey my cousins played hockey they lived across town and I decided to try it and my dad is from South Dakota and my mom grew up on a farm in Minnesota so they knew nothing about it which was actually as I look back which was an advantage because they just brought me to my sporting things especially hockey and just said did you have fun and you know were you respectful and that was about it did you work hard so we grew up in a neighborhood we had a I had a pond behind our house um, of course we, you did <laughs> skate on in, in November yeah then we'd skate on in November but and then usually by the end of November it seemed like most years my my birthday is early December the park near our our, uh, our neighborhood which is right by the elementary school where I went that they flood that and so then I just kind of lived there and that's from first grade up until high school I just basically lived outdoors at the rink and if we weren't playing hockey outdoors uh, we were playing street hockey or we could at recess they let us play street hockey back in those days and, you know, nowadays I don't think they let kids with the, you know run around with a bunch of sticks on the playground. But we got to play hockey every day. So I, I got in trouble once but for uh, – I used to skip lunch so I could get more recess time. So I would I would go in Love the lunchroom that. and then I'd wait for the kids to go in. And I either wouldn't eat or I'd just quick eat like a hash brown or something like that. And then I'd run outside. <laughs> and one day my mom came marching into the school. She found out shaking her fist at me, telling me I had to eat my lunch. But I wanted like another 15 minutes of street hockey. But anyway – so we did that, and then our, our gym teacher, actually, Mr. Gornick, let us skate once a week for gym class. So uh, so we were just, like wow. I said, I was just around it all the time. And and if you like hockey, Edina is a good place. It had 10 outdoor rinks at the time, and and uh, the high school hockey programs are really strong, and my cousins both played, and I, uh, both, I looked up to both of them. They both ended up playing college as well. One played at Miami where you played, Tom, and then another, uh, my other cousin Dave played at the U of M, which is Minnesota. And so I grew up idolizing those guys. So even though we had the North Stars and the Gophers in town, uh, for us, for myself and, and my buddies, our big deal was we wanted to get to St. Paul with a, with a high school team to the state tournament. And and back then they had an old rink called the Civic Center with clear boards all the way down to the down to the ice. Oh, and wow. so we always wanted we always wanted to play where the clear boards were. We thought that would be neat. So that was our that was our dream. So I was just lucky, and and I can tell you every. Every single coach I had from first grade up through college, you know, and I, so I had blessed with really good coaches, um, and and they always it was just fun, and yeah, I, I can't say enough about uh, how lucky I was. And again, it was nice having parents that just let me drive it and, and do what I wanted to do, and 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 uh, we 
never talked about hockey outside of the rink. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> and I feel like it's crazy because Jeff and I talk with a lot of high level hockey players on this podcast. And, and I, I really feel like every single person for the most part talks about their childhood in a similar way to you. Now you had some, some different perks being from Minnesota and having the pond out back and having a gym class where they let you play hockey and stuff like that. But yeah. <laughs> like, I, I feel like a lot of what's being lost in hockey development, specifically at the younger levels, the might squirts peewees, although you're not allowed to say that anymore. So I apologize that eight you, whatever the U's are now. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, it, it's all about building a passion for it when you're younger and even when you're older, but especially when you're younger. And do you feel like that was part of the reason why you were able to play division one was just all of that unstructured, just getting out there and playing and having fun with your friends? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we, there, and I would say not every single guy that played in our high school team maybe had the same passion, but most, but every guy I, I would say really loved playing with their buddies and, and, and playing for our town team. But I would say most of us had a, had a, a pretty darn good passion though too. And so I think that was for sure fueled on, on the, on the, the outdoor parks. And, and it was a big deal. We had the, the neighborhood park, we had at a big a general skating area. And then but once you kind of learned how to skate, you could kind of go to the, the smaller rink area. It didn't have boards, but that little wood, you know, shinny nets. And then it was a big deal when you're old enough to go out to the big rink and skate with the big guys and they let you play. So, so, so I, I think I was about third grade, second when I kind of got enough courage to go out there and play with the junior high kids. And I might touch the puck once every, you know, 10 minutes and I'm out there with them, but they'd make sure every now and then you touch the puck and, um, and then you play with them for a while. And then kids your age would come. So it was just constant game, 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 and no one, and you could try stuff and, and, uh, so I think that was a large part of it. And I think also I just had, I had coaches that were, um, that really made me want to go to the rink and work hard. And, and, um, you know, gosh, I think in, when I was in fifth grade, uh, the way my birthday worked then, I think I got, I got cut from the top four peewee team. So I wasn't even in the top 60 kids wow. in my grade, grade above. And I had this coach, I don't even know. I mean, Marshall Hines, he wore, he wore jeans and cowboy boots and had like a big mustache. <laughs> he was great. And, and he made it fun and he figured out a way to make me want to come in. And I just, and I, and I remember, I, I think I cried or I was, you know, I bummed out the night. I got cut from all these teams, but he was just like, he, he, you know, he just kept fueling that passion. And so I was, he was like, you can pass every one of these kids up. Just keep coming to the ring, keep coming to the pond. And uh, so anyway, so yeah, it was, that, but I think that passion is, I think, from some kids missing because there's some kids that, boy, you watch them at the rink and they can they can go through the cones and they can skate like the wind, like a first-round draft pick. But then, you know, they, I don't know, there's not a lot of lead in the pencil. They're by robots. The time they get to <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and the guys that, that play college, or and especially the good college players, have that passion that's burning inside them. And, and uh, that's, that's a huge thing. And I know you're going to do a good, just listening to you and, and getting there a little bit through the podcast and some of our conversations, I know you'll do a good job of that with your, with your guys in Syracuse. So that's a huge part of the game that I think is overlooked. Well, that's debatable, but I appreciate it. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I want to go back to something that you said, because I had a very similar experience. Actually, when I was a peewee, I actually got cut um, from my team that I had kind of played with all the way through. And that was like a really crazy moment. But um, in 
it was a blessing in disguise because I was able to find a coach kind of like your cowboy hat guy with the mustache. Yeah. Mine, mine was yeah. a Russian crazy guy. <laughs> um, but he, <laughs> he was unreal in terms of driving that passion for the game. And, and I think that's something that a lot of kids need to hear because I mean, he, here you are and I both division one hockey players still involved in hockey and, and are still involved in hockey because we love the sport. And we took an op like, I shouldn't say it's an opportunity, but we took something that was pretty tough in terms of getting cut. And because of that support system that we had in, in a coach that, that drove our passion for the game, like here we are talking on a hockey freaking podcast today. And how cool is that? So it's just really cool that those stories were mirrored and we both got cut at, at kind of like the same age. Um, because kids that they, a lot of them, if they do get cut when they're younger, they almost think it's the end of the line, but it's not, you just got to find somebody that that's a great coach. And if you're a parent, find somebody that's a great coach for your kid. That's going to want them to get better and, and we'll push them to get better and make it fun. And, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was fortunate and the, the way our structure is was any diner in Minnesota, there's still, there was still a place for me to play. Yeah. Number one. And also my mom and dad didn't feel very sorry for me. My, my mom and dad were, were, were great and loving and caring and all that, but it wasn't like, you know, they weren't trying to make phone calls to try to get me onto one of the B teams or whatever. It was just like, okay, well, here's where you're at, have fun and work hard. So that, that I think was good to me. So they turned the page right away. So I think that helped me turn the page as well. And, and like you, to your point, you never know when you keep a kid involved with hockey and especially with some passion. I mean, they may end up being like a really good board member someday, or they might be a great coach or they yeah. might, you know, lead a learn to play clinic and, and ultimately lead hundreds of kids to the game. So you just never know when you keep a kid involved, what they're going to do down the road to help the game. Yeah, that's such a great point and, and very cool that you're still involved and in doing the things that you're doing at the high school level and just at Minnesota Hockey as a whole. Um, but w I want to get to that in a little bit because I wanted to ask you, you played hockey at St. Lawrence. You went from Edina to St. Lawrence. That's that's not typical, I guess I would say. Maybe there's an inside story that, that how you got there. So how did you end up getting to St. Lawrence? And then if you can, Joe Marsh is, is one of the, the biggest characters and one of the most respected guys probably in college hockey history. So if you have a story, about about him that that'll make us chuckle a little bit would love to hear something like that too <laughs> yeah um yeah why well, I, I was uh it, it was a little different back you know so i graduated in 89 from high school which is a long time ago now but i it, it, we had a we had a pretty good team our, our junior year we won the state tournament and then our senior year, we were pretty good as well and um one of the st lawrence assistant coaches was pierre mcguire he was out recruiting in minnesota and he was watching, we were playing a team called Grand Rapids. And I think they had six division one guys in the team. And I think we ended up having maybe seven or something like that when it was all said and done. So we had, we had all sorts of talent on our team. And I was just sort of a stay at home D. And anyway, he, a week later, I get this phone call. And I, at first I thought it might've been a joke because I like to play pranks on teammates. <laughs> and I played a pretty good, I played a pretty good prank on our goalie earlier, like not long before that I'd written him a fake note from the St. Louis blues, making him think he was going to get drafted. So anyway, I thought I almost was like going to say something smart to this. Yeah, sure. You're from, Cause at the time St. Lawrence was undefeated and they were the runner up in 88. So I, I knew who they were. Right. But anyway, so we talked and then, he wanted me to come out um, with a teammate who was a really good player, Noel Ron, um, who ended up playing at St. Cloud and and uh, and was in Wisconsin. But anyway, so we came went out for a weekend, and it was a weekend. It turned out that they played Harvard, um, who won the national championship that year. But they had Lane McDonald, and yeah. that was just an unbelievable, unbelievable game to watch. But 
Um, so yeah, so I but I so I said we had an open weekend and I went out um, not knowing what to expect. And this town's kind of on the backside of the moon in the middle of nowhere. And I just fell in love with the campus and the place. And I really liked the coaches and I liked how they treated the guys. And I really liked Joe Marsh. So I um, and like I said, I wasn't I wasn't Mr. Blue Chip. I didn't have you know places banging my door down. I think only one other school had talked to me at all. So I had a chance to play there, and I jumped at it, and, and I'm glad I did. A lot the guys I played with are still some of my best friends today, um, and still keep in touch with Joe. And and uh, it's just it was a, an unbelievable place to play hockey and to go to school. Very cool. So, so give me give me your. I didn't, I didn't expect a Pierre Maguire to come up in this, but that's that's obviously another name we got to ask you about. So if uh, <laughs> if you can give us maybe like a story about one of like uh, Pierre and and Joe, what would uh, what would some of your best memories with those two guys be? Well, they're they're both number one. They're really positive, and, and they they did a lot to help me. So I, I I owe them both quite a bit. I one funny thing that Pierre did, like it was like one of my first practices as a freshman, and he would run the D, and we'd split up forward and D almost every day. And if he was in a bad mood, he wouldn't move his stick. So if you're like if you had to pass to the coach and get a pass back, like he literally wouldn't move his stick like an inch. And then he, <laughs> so if you'd miss his stick, he'd freak out and go, you know. But, you know, and I think a lot of it was a little bit theatrical, but he, he got, but he, he, what he did, he, he, at the same time, I think he was trying to get me to think I wasn't in high school anymore and you got to work hard and at practice, you got to take care of the details and stuff. So that was something, so every now and then I'll do that with our high school guys. Say, hey, a coach did it to me. I'll just, but <laughs> so that was something funny he, he used to do. But uh, when I first met Joe, he had a cast on his hand because he had the weekend before Jamie Baker, who's a, who was an All-American and and uh, an unbelievable player in like St. Lawrence hockey history? He got slew-footed and broke his leg, and so he was mad, and so he smashed his hand against the oh. I guess to- uh, a, a paper towel dispenser. Something. So I met the guy, and I'm like, what? You know, I was like, just walking in, I'm you know from this little bubble of Edina, and yeah, hey, nice to meet you. And he's you know he's got his thick accent and all that, and so he, uh, so I'm like, oh god, what is this guy? And then so I'm like, okay, so I go up in the stands and. You know, we we set a couple of things and they're playing Dartmouth on Friday and then the Harvard game was Saturday. So anyway, the first period I think St. Lawrence is up four nothing or something. So I, I walked down, I'm kinda do to do and thinking, Oh, this is gonna be like, you know, hey, you know, watch the F three or you know, let's do this or that, like a couple minor adjustments and he was just laying it. <laughs> I've never heard anybody lay into it I'm going, Oh, this guy's but he, but he had a point. I mean, his point was that the team wasn't playing hard. They weren't playing. They, they were looking ahead to Saturday night, and they weren't. They were playing kind of me hockey, and so that stuck with me. And I, at the same time, uh, the one of the great things about Joe is, is he demanded your best and that you worked hard. And if you weren't doing it, he let he let you know, but he would do it in private. So he, if he was ever reaming out the team, it was as a group. Yeah. And if you personally, he'd call in your office and he would do it face to face and be honest. But so I, I always had, a, I just have a ton of respect for how he did that um, as well. But yeah, it, it was always fun coming to the rink with Joe and, and uh, he, <laughs> there's always, you know, funny, funny things he was doing every day. So he, he loved it. Oh yeah. We've had a few slew guys on the podcast before. I, I think it was Brandon Bolig who uh, told us a story about him driving around uh, town in his van with a door shut off because he was so mad. <laughs> he, he broke his yeah. door on his van and he was just driving around without a door on it. But he is, he's fantastic. Like I've gotten the chance to hang out with him a couple different times and he is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. That thick accent and he's so yeah. passionate. Yeah. Like 
if you're talking, that's one of the things that I thought was really cool is when he was talking to you, like he was really talking to you and you could tell that he's something, somebody that puts everything that they have into whatever it is that's right in front of him at the time. Is that, does that kind of, is that a pretty good yep. endorsement? Is that a pretty good feeling of what he's like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, yeah, he, he, go, he's in a hundred percent. And I think nowadays too, there's some of the, the, the words we, that are thrown around a lot are, you know, culture and all that. So he was kind of before his time. I mean, he was all about, and looking back now, he was really about building relationships with us and making sure that we had relationships with each other. So we played for each other and played for the team. And, uh, the, you know, so again, a lot of things I think that are just masked in different terms now, like by, you know, you got to have the right culture and you got to write that. He was doing all that stuff, you know, back in the 80s and 90s. And, uh, yeah, just an awesome, just an awesome coach and guy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, let's let's go a little bit later. Now you uh, you graduated from SLU, and uh, one of the things that Jeff and I always talk about on the podcast, and he would love all the stuff that we're talking about right now. So feel better, man. Um, but he, we always talk about the how how much coaching is teaching and it's not necessarily your hockey knowledge that you have. That's so important. It's, it's, you know, you need to know hockey for sure, but the ability to be able to teach and the ability to be able to communicate is, is so important when it comes to being a coach at any level, but specifically when you're talking about the younger levels as well. And, uh, and you were an educator for 15, 16 years after you got done at, at St. Lawrence uh, and you taught uh, in elementary school. So if you can, I just love to pick your brain a little bit. What was it like? To, to, to teach and how have you used some of the things that you've uh, learned as a teacher now as a hockey coach? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I taught for um, 16 years in Ian Prairie and um, this is a suburb of Minneapolis <coughs> and I taught first and second grade. And if you've ever been around, <coughs> excuse me, if you've been around a, a first grader, a, a room of first graders, the energy is unbelievable and you have to be prepared. So so nothing will eat you up faster than if you show up for school with a bunch of first graders and you're not ready for the day. <laughs> they, they, they will run you over. And, um, but they're fun. And, and the thing that, the thing that's um, uh, fantastic about that age or those ages is they're, they're learning to read. And that's, that's an exciting thing. They love school. They're, they're, they're pleasers. So they want to be nice to each other. They typically want to be nice to, you know, to everybody. So it's just a really fun environment to, to be around. I loved the variety of it. No, no two days were the same, and they were, and they always kind of kept you, they always kept you laughing. So it was always fun. So I think from that, I think you know, like how does that translate over to coaching? Well, the same thing. I, I think you know, always I always try to be prepared, have a plan. Um, always at the same time, you have to be flexible because you know something can go haywire or can go crooked in the first or second grade classroom really quickly. You know, it just takes a. a or a butterfly to fly in the room or a kid to throw up <laughs> or something like that. And all of a sudden you've got to change, you've got to change your entire plan. And, and, uh, and I think sometimes coaching is the same way. You can have the, the best laid plans as you need to be flexible. Um, but I also thought it taught me a lot of patience and I oh think God, too, one I of the can't things, even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things we preached in our school was, you know, if something was best for kids, then we need to do it. And a lot of times what's best for kids isn't best for adults. And a lot of times in, in hockey and youth sports, I think um, administrators and people in charge, they just do sometimes the same old, same old because they've always done it or they do something because it's easier for adults, but it might not necessarily be the best for kids. So I think having that lens, I try to always, as best I can, and I'm not perfect, but try to, to do things that's going to help 
you know, whether it's Minnesota hockey or the team I'm coaching or the clinic I'm running, whatever, you know, how is this best um, going to help a kid? And, and if it's a little bit harder for me or if it's a little extra work for me in the back end or some adults, that's okay because it's, it's all, it should be all about the kid. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I have to imagine that a lot of that is just being upfront with communication and, and expectations. So, like, I feel like, like in the youth hockey game and what I've seen – if you're up front and people know what to expect and you actually follow through on the things that you say that you're going to do, you're putting yourself in a much better spot to not have to have so many issues and problems with parents and, and people that, like you said, aren't really necessarily putting the kids first. Have you found that a lot from an educational standpoint too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think for sure. I think if you are um, you know, up front and you have a good relationship, you know, I try to always build good relationships with the uh, the people that I was coaching and also in the classroom. But I think, yeah, as an educator, that if you can build that relationship and be upfront and transparent about, about things, um, if something does go wrong or if there's an issue or whatever, it's much easier to deal with. And I think people have a lot, they can understand whether, you know, what the, the method is to your madness. And, they, and, and if you do make a mistake, they're typically going to be much more patient and understanding of it as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even admitting sometimes yeah. that making mistakes is never a bad thing. You know, you're not going to be perfect as a coach, yeah. just like oh. the players or the kids aren't going to be perfect that you're coaching or teaching. And so if you can have a little bit of humility and take some responsibility for when things don't go right. And I always tell that to the kids that I coach at the beginning of the year and the parents, I say, hey, look, there's probably going to be times I'm going to be too hard on you. Or there's going to be times where I make the wrong decision and we're going to lose a game and that's okay. Um, and then just doing that with the yeah. kids too. Hey, it's okay for you to make mistakes. And it's okay for you to, you know, do certain things if you're putting yourself out there and you're trying to get better and getting outside your comfort zone. And uh, I have to imagine, like, how does that work in, in a teaching background, too, when you're in the classroom? Uh, is, is pushing kids outside their comfort zone and trying to get them to maybe think of things and do things that, um, you know, they may, might not have even known is possible or haven't done before? How, how do you go about navigating that in, in the classroom? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Absolutely, yeah, I think it's it's similar to that when when you're thinking of pushing a kid in a sport. Um, yeah, and and you have to get to know your your students. There'll be some that you could be, um, I don't want to say hard on, but you could be maybe a little more direct with and things like that. And then there's others that really really are sensitive, and you have to really, um, you know, kind of you know put your hand on their shoulder and 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 talk really gently and and and, and lead them that way. But regardless, I think both places, I think you do try to get kids out of their comfort zone and push them because, you know, whether it's a first grader doing something in science or learning how to read, they can, they can, most of the time, they can go farther than they dream they can. And they, you know, they've got more inside them, they can give more, they can work harder. And I think it's the same a lot of times with hockey, too, and sports. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot, a lot of similarities with there, too. And, and, and I like your point about, you know, nobody's perfect, too. I just always had a joke with the first graders. Every time I made a mistake, I'd say, Oh, in my class, I, we were the Redbirds. I said, all right, Redbirds, Mr. T, first mistake of the year right here. And then they would always, they'd, they'd make a big hoot and holler. Like, cause I, <laughs> I, screwed up, I screwed up about three times a day. So I would say that every day. Um, and they loved it. Because, yeah, I think that does, yeah, to give yourself a little bit of, make yourself real and a little humility is a good thing. That's very cool. That's a cool thing that you do too. That's pretty funny. Um, The other thing I wanted to ask you about in terms of translating from the classroom to the rink is creativity. And creativity is this, let's call it a buzzword that people talk about is so important, but how do you get it? Um, And everybody almost has a different opinion of of how you teach creativity. Um, How do you do that in the classroom? And 
with that, does that translate at all into the sports arena as well? Yeah, I, I think yes. Yeah, so I think a lot of times in the classroom, it's it's easy. Sometimes it's it's easier. You don't even realize. Sometimes you do answer questions for kids, or you do make things. Um, you know, make an assignment uh, a lot easier than it needs to be. So we did a lot of like what's called inquiry-based learning. You know, where it, I mean, you might start with a big question, or, you know, or something like that. Or here's what we want to here's what we want to discover with the with this science lesson, and then you let the kids kind of figure out their way there and. Well, usually it's not a direct line or it's supposed to keep, you know, a little more, uh, you know, a little roundabout way. But when they get there, the learning is going to be deeper. And I think a lot of times with coaching, I do the same thing where uh, I'm working on, this is one of the things I'm working on is asking, hey, what did you see out there? You know, instead of saying, you know, puck should have gone there, it's got to go there. And at times that, that may be the case. But most of the time I think I get much better buy-in from the players I coach um, and kind of insight into what they're thinking. When I say, "What did you see there? What were you thinking?" Okay, all right. Well, here's here's how I kind of thought. What do you what do you think you might try next time? And so I think there's definitely parallels with that. And I think as far as the creativity in hockey, you know, I was fortunate to grow up where we where we were on the pond and at the park all the time. So just trying to give our kids as many opportunities outside of the team things, where whether it's skating outside or giving them free hockey time or else. Um, within practice, a lot of the smaller games and, and things like that to kind of bring that creativity out. Because as you know, if it, you know, for those kids that go on, besides the passion, one of the things they have to have is the hockey IQ and creativity to really go far. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's it's really interesting because you know uh, Kobe Bryant passed away last week, and that was obviously extremely tragic. And and uh, but I kind of went down a rabbit hole, and I had no idea he was so into youth sports, and I had no idea all of the things that he has done for youth sports in terms of putting a culture together with some of the you know the don't retire kid uh, hashtags and some of the things that he did to to, to create the stuff that you're talking about with the creation. Creativity. And one of the things that he talked about in one of the videos that I watched was imagination. And his, his, um, one of his biggest fears was that kids today aren't able to grow up with an imagination because they're so structured and because we're telling them as adults how they should be doing things uh, and we're scheduling them so much that they don't really have necessarily that, that free time and that play time to just kind of be a kid and, and just figure it out for themselves, if that makes any sense. Um, how, how important do you think that is? And it's interesting because I, I had a talk with my grandma once and it was, it was just like one of the most insightful talks I've ever had. And she was telling me about how when they were kids, what they would do is they would sit around the radio and they would listen to a story on the radio and how she thought that was so good for her development as like a person because her thoughts just took her to all these different places because you and I and her and everybody else can be listening to this story, but we can be picturing different things in our head and our imagination just kind of goes and yeah. it runs with yeah. the little bit of information that you have. And I just thought that was like really cool. And I, I almost feel bad for kids nowadays because I, I do. And, and with what Kobe was saying and how important that imagination is to creating creativity and joy and fun and, and which creates the passion for what you do. Um, it, it's just, is that something that you see as a teacher, as, as, a, as a coach, that we're not really allowing the kids to have an imagination as much anymore? And, and how can we help to help, like, get these kids to have an imagination? Yeah, I think, no, I agree with that. I, I think um, that you see that both in school and out of school and in sports because we want to 
you know, for instance, if you if you take your um, your kid to a clinic or something like that, I think most people want to see something that looks really organized, and you know, the lines look good and this and that. And there's there's times and places for that, but sometimes when it looks a little chaotic, like it's station based or they're you know giving them a little more decision making and things like that within a drill or a game, people sometimes it makes adults uncomfortable. Like they think, what's why aren't they coaching them enough or what's going interesting, on? Yeah. That's interesting. You brought up that's interesting. You brought up Kobe. Like a, maybe a week or two before he passed away, there was something that I I, I retweeted or or that I liked that he did, it, and it was somebody retweeted a thought that he had, which was really cool about coaching. He was talking about coaching his daughter, and how he said, you know, myself and our coaches, we could we could come up with a system or we could do some things to win games at this level, but I'm in it for the long game, and, and we want to develop these guys for the long haul. So he was just talking about how letting them be more creative and make decisions on their own and things like that, which I thought was really cool. Um, that he was thinking like that um, about his daughter's thing because yeah for sure I mean who knows more than him when he's in a gym you know coaching coaching a game and yet he's letting he's letting his team kind of be creative and, and use their imagination and, and and come up with solutions on their own and sometimes they might work and sometimes they might not and that's okay it's all part of the journey yeah and and that's something that I think a lot of parents need to understand and yeah. um, and and coaches too because I think. You know, you have some coaches who do that because they want to win and it's about their ego, but there's some coaches that feel like they have to do that because parents want wins. And at the end of the day, yeah. and we've talked about it with plenty of people on this podcast, a lot of times coaching to win isn't necessarily coaching to develop. And and that's what you're talking about right now. So allowing kids to have a little bit more freedom, uh, allowing kids, just like even what you said, it, just asking them questions instead of telling them what to do all the time and letting them figure it out. Because um, I think that's also a misnomer is that when USA hockey people, when they talk about unstructuredness and just letting them figure out, it's like, no, you actually need to provide them with, with some coaching and you need to talk yeah, about, absolutely. talk to them yeah. about why they do what they do. And it's not just putting five people out on the ice or whatever and, and just letting them do whatever. Um, so there's, there's a balance to it. And I think having that healthy balance as a coach, but also recognizing that balance as a parent, I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah, it is absolutely. And there's, I, I can remember one of my, one of my favorite coaches when I was growing up was a guy named John McMorrow who played at Edina East and he played at Providence and he was a, a fantastic, an unbelievable player. And he just, he, he, he just, he coached with joy and he, and he made it. So here we are, I was like an eighth grader, not, not, um, not the most talented kid on the ice. And I, and I, I was obsessed with learning like Bobby or escapes and trying to be creative with the pocket. And he was, they were so patient. Right. And they would, he would give me the space to, to, to try it. And then if it didn't work, okay, try it again next time. Quick, you'll get it. Or what were you thinking? And, and so he was just, I think before his time. And, but I look back at that now as he allowed us time to be creative and to try things. Um, and if it didn't work, you know, we talk about it and we go back, you know, back to the drawing board, but it was, um, you know, to your point, I think it's so important to, to, to give the kids that space, be creative. And then also like I said, provide some structure and guidance with the two and a lot of feedback. Yeah, yeah. So how do you cuz you're a, you're a coach of of Bloomington in Minnesota high school program that's a very reputable program. I actually played with a couple of Bloomington guys in junior hockey and Matt Duncan and Tommy Gilbert. So those two okay, guys went yeah. on to do some pretty good things. Um yeah. how how do you balance that as a high school hockey coach in Minnesota where the town really wants you to win but you also understand that you have kids that are on your team that have potential to be able to play in college possibly even pro hockey. Is that is that a balance that you think about and and how do you manage that? 
Yeah, I, I, I do think about it. You know, so this is just my second year. So last year was uh, my first year coaching. And so I'm, and one of the things I'm uh, trying to do in addition to working with the high school is to, to our numbers at the youth, at the youth levels are, haven't been quite as good the last, say, eight to ten years. So we're trying to kind of work closely with the Youth Hockey Association to build that up and to kind of, you know, for lack of just from where we talked about earlier, build that culture up so kids come to us ideally with, with a work ethic and with joy and with a passion and with some creativity too. So, But, yeah, it's a fine line because, yeah, you, you, I mean, kids want to win and, and coaches are competitive. You want to win too, but you also have to remember that, that – we're rung in the ladder and we've got some, we've got a handful of kids that, that we think could play beyond high school for sure. So you want to do things long-term that's going to help those guys um, as well. And then, you know, one of the challenges with our team at this year, I would, I would say the last couple of years that I've seen is um, we've got a lot of kids that can, that can get up and down the ice great and are really strong and can shoot the puck and things like that. But they don't always think the game at, at the, the level that we'd like them to. So trying to give them opportunities in practices and in games to, to be creative and to make mistakes and, and, uh, and again, trying to keep the, the long-term development picture in mind, but it's, it's a balance. It's a balance because you do, you know, you, people do want, want wins and they do want success. And I get all that, but I, we feel like if we can build that culture up and get all those things right. Uh, so every rung in the ladder is in place by the time they get to us, a lot of that, that winning will take care of itself because you're doing the right things and, treating people the right way. Yeah, and you're just taking the long view. Yeah. And if you think about it from uh, even like a scientific standpoint, if all of the kids on your team is getting better, your team's probably going to get better too. <laughs> so That's if you're true. only That's focusing yeah. on, you know, trapping it up or, you know, dumping it in and, and uh, all, like your forecheck and all that kind of stuff, I mean, yeah, it's going to lead to better structure, which might lead to better wins. But if you're going to get, if you play against that team at the beginning of the year and their kids aren't necessarily getting better with the skill work and the creativity and the things that you're talking about but you have another team that loses at the beat to that team at the beginning of the year but then they focus on making the kids better i mean i'm going to take that team eight to nine times out of ten over the other team any day of the week in terms of an actual wins and losses record at the end so i think and that's yep. a philosophy that um, people that i respect have guys like ryan hardy and what they're doing in chicago with the steel and the yep. ushl yep. that's that's the kind of philosophy that they have with their players development you look at the ntdp and what they've been able to do they never sacrifice on on development when it comes to lifts and skill like just all the things extra things that they do with their kids so i mean even if you look at it from a rational standpoint if all of your kids are getting better your team's going to get better and that team when when games actually matter at the end of the year is going to be way ahead of the, the ones that just focus on the structural things that'll allow you to win a hockey game yeah, 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 and we know, and, and the, with our group, this we know we're getting better, and, and and the coach, and it doesn't always show up on the the win loss ledger. So yeah, we did, so you're working on telling the kids to be patient, and, and again, we know we're getting better. So it's yeah, you're trying to play the long game for sure. Yeah, yeah. So so with that, you are doing some awesome things in terms of hockey development in in the Minnesota area, and you're the new hockey programs manager uh, for Minnesota hockey. And I believe you guys are the arm of USA Hockey, right? You guys work pretty closely yeah, with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we're a district of USA Hockey. Yeah. So, so one of the things that you've done that I thought was one of the coolest things ever, and you guys did an honor the game tournament. 
And in that Honor the Game tournament, it was about sportsmanship and, and it was about all these things in terms of life skills that are so important to, to the game and to the culture of the game today. So if you can, tell us a little bit about that weekend. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you did during that weekend that really resonated and, uh, and overall just what the experience was like uh, having done a tournament that was that much different. I'll let you kind of take the floor on it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, so we it, we did the Honor the Game tournament um, this past November, but it really the kind of the genesis of it started last winter. Uh, we were doing a, I, I was, organ, I had organized a tournament that we were running, and it was for sea level teams, and I was at the rink on a Sunday, and it was uh, the Constellation Championship of the PBC division, and it was just like, it, it was the, the most, it was the longest two hours of my life. It was just a horrible, <laughs> horrible afternoon. And you know, we've all kind of been through those, right? But, I mean, the, the coaches were, were bad to the refs. The players were, were acting horrible. The parents were yelling at each other. The yelling at the refs. It was just it, it was just awful. I mean, I felt like I needed to take a shower when I got home. And I'm not a real confrontational guy, but I'm up in the stands and I'm ready to kick out, like, five parents in the stands. And I'm like, can you please calm down? On my way to the car, at the you know, on my way to the car, kind of like shuffling to my car, all dejected, and like this eighty-year-old grandma was chirping me from one of the teams. So I was just like, <laughs> it was like unbelievable. So I called. So our executive director is Glenn Andreessen, who's who's a, a fantastic guy, and I just kind of just you know downloaded with him, I and mean, we just and over the course of the next few days, we talked a lot about, well, let's try to do a, some type of an event where we just kind of. You know, where this is the focus is on the sportsmanship, but it's still high level hockey. So we came up with this Honor the Game tournament and we partnered with the PCA, the Positive Coaching Alliance, we have got a great relationship with. And, and, and the focus of the weekend was well, basically twofold. One was high level competition, it was a PWA tournament, um, which is still high level hockey here. Double A is the highest, but PWA is still very good. And, and you're there to win and you're there to compete. And there's no, you don't need to be embarrassed about that. It's not unicorns and rainbows. Like you're there. If there's a loose puck, you're battling, you're winning it. You're there to win the game, but there's a right way to do it. So the other focus just as important is the sportsmanship and, and players and coaches and spectators all acting the right way. So that we kind of came up with this and we just brainstormed some ideas between ourselves and Troy Pearson, who's the, the PCA uh, executive director from Minnesota and some of the things, uh, some examples of some of the things we did is before each game, we had the referee introduce themselves on the microphone, give like a 30 second talk, like where they're from, what their background is. Um, and it was pretty cool. The very first guy that got up was an Afghan veteran for like 20 years. Oh, wow. He started refing because his daughter played. And, he, and at the end, he's like, I'm going to make some mistakes tonight, you know, but I just know I'm not perfect. I'm doing my best. So it's kind of hard to yell at a guy like that before the game. <laughs> yeah. but, <laughs> Set a nice tone uh, before each before uh, all the the first round games. I, Glenn and I went in and talked to the teams to wish them luck and to stress sportsmanship. But then we challenged all the coaches, no bench minors all weekend, and we were able to hit that, which was nice. Um, after the game, we had parents from each team shake hands, and so that that put parents out of their comfort zone. And then for one game, we did have parents sit together from opposing teams. And so anyway, so we had, and we we followed. So those are some of the things, and it was really positively received and, and it was interesting because we had great hockey and we had uh, great competition but the the vibe in the building was just better it just seemed it just seemed calmer and it seemed more positive not that there weren't a couple dads up in the stands putting their palms up when they didn't like the call but there was, there was honestly probably two two examples of that that i can remember 
and uh, they're from the same team. And uh, you know, I don't know. They, I don't know. No matter what we've done, if, if it would have affected those guys. But by and large, you know, we did follow up surveys, and parents and families just loved the emphasis on the sportsmanship and some of the stuff that we did. So we're planning on doing it next year and expanding it to the girls' side and uh, some more age groups and. And some of the stuff, it's like, why don't we do it every tournament? We should, you know, we should be doing, we should make sure the coaches know, no, be- there's no reason for a bench minor, in my opinion, you know, at any level. Um, you know, why not stress that? Why not have parents shake hands? Why not have the refs introduce themselves before games and, and kind of set the tone? So anyway, long, long story short, that's, those are the things we did. And, and we've got great feedback from it. And, and it's one of probably of all the events that I've been involved with in my four years here. It's probably been one of the ones that's, that uh, is talked about the most out here. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I remember when I read about that, I, I was like, oh my God, that is just that's such a fantastic idea. And especially the ref one in terms of the ref introducing, because we actually had that, our, I, I helped out with a high school team last year up here in New York, and uh, the refs yeah. actually came yeah. into the locker room before the game and introduced themselves and said hello and what they do and, and things like that. And it just like it humanizes the refs because I think we see them yeah. as this entity that is just out to get us almost <laughs> sometimes yeah and uh when you humanize it i think it it just makes it better so uh, that's that's just so cool that you guys thought out of the box uh with and i hope more people do that too i think i hope people look at that and look at the success that it had and and uh for the people who are running tournaments or even you know youth organizations that have games yeah why not have the refs take the microphone and introduce themselves and and mitigate and and i can't imagine for those fathers who who put their hands up what they would have done had that weekend not been going on so you probably even though they were unhappy you probably mitigated (laughs) some kind of disaster (laughs) yeah well it was nice there was some there was some peer pressure you could hear some parents saying oh you know well this is the tournament we can't get on the refs kind of like joking to each other but i mean there was some positive peer pressure to to act the right way and and i think ultimately i mean i don't know i I just i've never heard a a kid a fifth or a sixth or seventh grade hockey player boy or girl boy i just i love it when our parents yell at the refs i love i mean they 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 don't like that you know and i've got a 16 year old boy that plays he doesn't like that still so anyway it uh yeah it was it was it was a great weekend and we're looking forward to doing it again very cool. So what are some other things that you guys do with Minnesota hockey that, uh, you know, that maybe people won't, don't necessarily know about? I'm sure you guys have a lot of administrative duties that you have to do, but what are some things that you guys have put into place to help and try and elevate the game there in Minnesota that maybe other people can, can use in other parts of the country? Well, as far as like our kind of our model or some of the programs that we're doing. Yeah, like in terms of, the, of I think I think some of the programs and what you guys do okay. because I think uh, people are always looking for new things and new ideas, maybe new programs to to help the kids in their areas. And you guys do such a good job of that in Minnesota um, in terms of getting people involved in the game and getting retention and and stuff that we've been talking about for the entire podcast. So maybe what are some of the the programs that you guys have put into place, kind of like the Honor the Game program. Well, yeah. So we're we're there's um, another program that we did this last year. So so our kind of our three main things would be, you know, we're, we want to uh, grow hockey, we want to develop players, we want to make sure it's all done in a safe safe place. So those are kind of our top three things. Um, another event that we did that that was uh, that was positive that we that we're um, going to do again this next year and expand was the Never Too Late Camp. So we did a a camp this past summer for kids that are like ages nine to thirteen. And in each community, and it's not like a ton of kids, but there's a, there's more than you think. There are kids out here that, that have skated on the pond with their buddies, or they have friends that play and they want to play hockey, but they maybe didn't start at age five or six. And so 
unfortunately, a lot of times people say, well, it's too late. You can't play. You know, I, you know, you got to start at age four if you want to skate in Minnesota, which isn't, which is, couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. And, and to our point earlier, we are talking about developing a passion. I mean, a lot of times if you've got a kid that's 10 or 11 years old that wants to play hockey, that, that might be the, the best board member in the nation, you know, when they're older, or yeah. that might be someone yeah. who loves hockey so much. So we did a camp this summer where, um, a twice a week camp uh, during the summer where kids nine to 13 got to try hockey. Um, and it was great. And nearly all those, all, every kid, but two that was in the camp signed up for hockey this winter at their association or for a rec league, which is kind of cool. So, so, um, that was something that we thought was a little different and neat. Um, some of the things that I do, I, I work with, uh, we do some player development clinics in the spring and fall. Um, uh, probably our, our one that's probably the most popular is probably body contact to do that for, for the boys' side and for the girl, the youth side and the girls' side. Um, also doing things to partner with our associations. We have over 140 community associations. So partnering with them to, to as many as we can to, to work with their coaches and their players to, um, to meet their development needs. And so uh, it could be something as, um, like uh, a body contact clinic in one association. Another one might be how to run a two-team shared practice. You know, more and more associations, I think, are doing a better job of being efficient with their ice. So you really don't walk into rinks as often as you used to and see see that squirt B team on the ice all by themselves. So we're doing a better job of sharing ice, but then also we want teams and coaches to not put up the imaginary curtain on the red line and kind of say, okay, well, the A's go down here and the B1s go down there and you can never mix. Um, so that might be something where we'll do with an association or it could be something where we're working on how to teach power skating with their coaches so they can kind of it's almost like train the trainers and then they can go back and they can work with their teams. Um, so we're trying to do a lot of stuff to support our association and, and, uh, and things that support our Minnesota model of, of, uh, of making our community-based hockey strong and vibrant. That's awesome. Well, one of the things you, you mentioned there was the, the ice time and making sure you're utilizing and maximizing the amount of ice. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I just learned of it uh, in the last month or so. And Ken Klee, who was the women's national coach for USA Hockey for a while, uh, coaching the AHL, played almost 1,000 games in the NHL. Uh, he's, he's around and he's part of our organization right now. He's got a kid coming up through. And they did something okay. when he was out in Colorado. They called it the 30-30. And so what they did, and, and this would be an un- unbelievable thing for uh, organizations that are looking to maximize their ice. So basically what they do is they have a two hour time slot and they have two teams that are in that time slot. But what happens is you have one team gets full ice for a half an hour. Uh, Then they split and then the other team gets the ice for the other half an hour. So, because in, in a practice, even if you have full ice, you're not using the full ice for the whole time. So when they have that, they're basically taking that time when you're not using the full ice and they're splitting. And then each team also gets a half an hour of, uh, of a full ice practice. So it's just a really interesting way. And hopefully I explained that. Okay. Where people can understand (laughs) what it was. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but the, you know, one team goes on for 30, then they split for 30 and then the other team goes on for 30 and each team gets an hour of ice one one of half of it is full ice one is half ice which is typically what happens in a practice anyway um so i just thought it was a really interesting thing that i think people can use maybe in their organizations yeah for sure just another way to look at it and and your point too being more efficient with the ice and and uh yeah just just to get just to get away from the you know one team on the ice at a time and also also going to you know, keep the cost down for families, which yeah. is which is something that we that we try to. You know, hockey's expensive enough no matter where you are, but um, 
one of the advantages to our community-based system is we can keep things, we can keep costs reasonable, especially if you compare it to other parts of the world and in, in North America. So if we can keep those costs reasonable, and a really good way to do that is just to be a little more shrewd with how you use the ice. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring up the community base because we've talked to a lot of people on the podcast before about how Minnesota is still the gold standard when it comes to that. And we all we all understand how the youth hockey circuit has become very much professionalized in a lot of places in the country. Um, and Minnesota, it hasn't gotten there as much as, as other places. And we had Mark Dennehy uh, on from the Boston area last week, and, and he was talking about the community model and, and how it's shifted to a, a competition-type model for, for the kids in that area and how it's been, it's been tough to, to navigate that process. Um, I know in Minnesota that community-based is still the standard. It's, it's still something that's very much uh, apparent and widespread throughout the state, but there are also some academies that are starting to pop up, and the AAA is starting to become uh, very much more apparent and prevalent in, in Minnesota hockey. So how are you guys as the arm of Minnesota hockey for USA Hockey, how are you navigating that process and, uh, and, and just trying to do what's best for, for hockey and the kids as a whole? Yeah, well, I think um, you know one of the things that we're that we're trying to do is to to keep educating our board and our members and and, and associations just on, on on our Minnesota model and how it really. I mean, if you think about it, it produces more high end performers than kind of what the predominant model is in other in other parts. So you know, we have more Division One men's and women's you know players in other places, and we have more. Wait, last night we had our fiftieth and fifty first Minnesotans skate in the NHL last night and so we have you know it's so if you're if, if a lot of times parents are worried about especially if they have kind of a high flyer they're worried about well they, they they're not going to get their development or they're not going to be able to progress to the top and so that really couldn't be further from the truth and so um it's and and i think a lot of reasons you know we want to just keep our, our association strong because part of that our strength is keeping that pyramid that we have a lot less narrow. Yeah. You know, for instance, you know, if you look at like eighth and ninth graders, which are typically Bantams here, um, you know, we've got 150, over 150 Bantam A and Bantam double A teams in the state. And there's over 130 high school teams. So for the most part, you know, if, if you want to have a competitive place to play hockey, you, you can find that in your community until you're 18. So I think that that, so, so we, we want to really keep, you know, our, our community based model really strong. So it's still so it's a viable option. People want to do it, and also keep educating people on that. Um, and we don't run high school hockey, but we're you know obviously closely involved with it. We want high school hockey to be as healthy as possible because that that one thing that does kind of like I mentioned at the start when I was sort of talking about my my background that produces another layer of inspiration to kids too. You know, so so if, if you've got the the high school kids and, and program being positive role models and doing a nice job than those younger kids in that place you're going to want to keep playing. So, so we just want to keep, keep high school hockey strong. We're, you know, with our, with our, our touch points with the high school league and stuff like that. But more than anything, we want to keep our community-based model um, as strong and as vibrant and, and keep educating people on, on how good it is, you know, on a, on a number of fronts where, you know, kids can stay home, they can play their sports, keep the cost down and travel and all that. But it also, I mean, my first point, it produces the most high-end performers, too, which is, um, which sometimes people don't, they don't always think about it, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a challenge with, yeah, with all the off-season hockey and AAA and things like that, um, kind of 
kind of pecking at the the, the fabric of, of of hockey. We got to be, be careful. Yeah, but what would you say to because Minnesota is is different than other parts in the country because you guys have such a and it's the chicken or the egg, right? It, do you guys have so many yeah. more players because of that community based model, or is the like is it just because you're in Minnesota and hockey is more prevalent than in other other places in the country just based on capacity and, and population and and being in the north and all that kind of stuff? What what would you say to to people because I live here in New York and there's a real push and pull between the AAA and the high school. And as the hockey director for myself, like that's, that's uh, something that I've had to deal with a lot. And a lot of people want to know, and a lot of people have a different opinion. And if you ask 19 different people, 19 different people would have a different opinion based upon, you know, should you let the kids play high school? Should you not? If you're not going to what age, because it's different because there's not as many kids that are playing hockey in this area than in Minnesota. So how, how do you navigate that push and pull? If you were to give some advice to maybe somebody else around the country, uh, when it comes to that. Well, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I would, you know, I I guess yeah, you're right. It's, it's not like Minnesota and other places. So, we're, you know, we're certainly unique in, in, in how that, you know, you can have those high-end players. We've got high-end players all over the state playing high school hockey. Um, you know, in New York, you know, gosh, I, I, from going to school at St. Lawrence, I remember back then the, the high school, the, the I didn't have a billet family, but we had a booster family. And so they were kind of took care of me since I was one of the guys from far, far away. And they had boys that played high school hockey, and I know at that time the high school hockey was uh, was pretty strong in New York. I mean, you had a lot of good players that would play high school, and then they would eventually maybe go to prep school before college. Yeah. But it seemed like most of the better players were were playing their sophomore and junior years, if not their senior year, at at home. And so I think the the more things that communities and, and areas can do to, to I don't know to kind of bolster their 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 local programs and their and their high school programs to make that an option so kids don't feel like they have to leave um, that would be great and then maybe they use the AAA for for kind of the out of the season uh, playing and development and things like that like here the AAA is is kind of it kind of picks up in the spring like once our association is over and then and then typically most places will have a little break in the summer and then there might be a little bit of a fall before the season starts. But it's not the same AAA team all year round. So I don't know. So I, I would guess that there's ways that you can make your local, your local stuff more vibrant and and accessible and grow those numbers there. Um, that would be a start. But you're, it's it's hard because it's it's kind of it, that can's been kind of kicked down the road too far. <laughs> so how do you stop it? You know, I don't know because I know Massachusetts used to. used to dominate. You know, the you know they they had the community based model going and they were rocking you know, back in the seventies and eighties. And then they kind of got away from that and it's hard to get it back, you know, once you lose it. So yeah. I know those are big challenges. And yeah. it, and I'm always impressed that like you, I don't go to every USA hockey meeting. I go to usually um, either the one in Florida or the one in Colorado. And I'm, I'm, I'm often impressed with the people from the different areas of the country and what they're doing to, um, to combat that. And, uh, and, and, you know, the guys from Massachusetts and I met some good guys from New York and from other places around the country, too, that I know are, are working on that. It's a challenge, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. And I think it, the yeah. most important yeah. thing is that you're just educating yourself on, on how it works and, and getting as many different yeah. perspectives as you can. Because you look at the kids, like if you really have an aspiration to, to play at a higher level in your when you're in this area, I would say a vast, vast majority of the kids 
played one or two years of high school hockey and then, you know, whether it was prep school or whether they kind of focused on triple a, like if you look at the history of the players that came through here, the, the Brian Giantos and the Chris Collins of the world, you know, they, they did have that high school experience. And then, and then at some point they made a decision where it was one of those things where maybe playing against some higher level competition only, uh, helped in their development because again, the, the talent disparity here is probably a little bit wider than it is in Minnesota from top to bottom. So when you get a little bit older, you're not necessarily getting that much better because you're not as challenged. Um, and I'm sure that's something that you guys here in Minnesota is different in every part of the country, but there's so many different variables. And uh, I do yeah, think you guys yeah. have done an awesome job in making sure that, like, it's just, it's really cool for a kid to go to the rink and uh, and play for their talent, play for something that's bigger than themselves. It's, uh, I think that's a huge part of, of development. And uh, you can still certainly get that playing at a triple a if you have a good coach that really cares about that kind of thing but that that experience of being able to play for your town and the games matter i, I that's just it's it's a really really cool thing yeah well, yeah you know, we're 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 so lucky yeah that's played for something bigger and and you can um you, know, you can develop and stay at home and you know gosh be all sorts of examples of guys that have done that you know and played all sorts of sports uh, and yeah. Lee and, and mcdonough and all those guys and they and they did it all at home It'll be fun to watch, see what you do in Syracuse, because I, you know, I know, like I said, I know that you know, there, there's so many good people that are working in hockey all over, and I like your, I really like appreciate your approach to your podcast and hockey. You're kind of a glass half full guy, and <laughs> I try. Which is great because there's enough, yeah, yeah, and there's there's a there's a lot there's enough people that aren't. So I, I know you're gonna, um, you know, create a great environment for your families and kids, and and I like how Jeff too. I, it seems like he's always banging on the drum of you know, let's cut out some of these travel weekends for some of these teams around the country and, and stay home and train or try to find ways to um, to stay more local a little more often and work on your development. I think that's that's huge, too. Yeah, well, I know Jeff was wanted to be on here, and uh, he's missed he missed both Minnesota episodes. You and and uh, and Jay Hardwick, Coach Hardo up there in Warroad. So uh, hopefully, you know, Jeff usually brings the pizzazz to the podcast. So hopefully, we we did okay. You know, bringing up the entertainment value a little bit here today. <laughs> yeah, you're doing just fine. But yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah bummer he missed it. No. <laughs> um, well, good stuff. Well, we really appreciate you, Twig, for coming on here. And uh, and again, you guys are doing such an awesome job out there in Minnesota. And uh, so many great topics that we went over today, um, from what you guys are doing to, to the whole teaching versus coaching aspect and, and your story of how you got to, to, to SLU. And we even got a Pierre Maguire uh, shout out in this episode, which I'm sure people <laughs> will appreciate. Everybody likes hearing stories about him. Um, but keep doing the good work that you guys are doing. And uh, if there's anything that we can do from our end, to, to help you guys out, certainly let us know. And uh, good luck. What do you guys? You guys probably coming down to the swing of things here with the high school season, huh? Yeah, it's an exciting time of year. Yeah, so the, about two weeks left in the regular season, and then section um, the kind of the region regional tournaments will start up in a couple weeks, and then the state high school tournaments like the first week in March. So that's the big. There's there's eight regions around the state at both in A and AA, so that's the big deal. You want to be one of those eight teams that makes it to the Excel Center. But yeah, it's an exciting time. But thanks for having me on, and thanks for all you're doing for hockey. And and uh, you know I've enjoyed getting to know you here this, this last year or two, and I look forward to staying in touch here down the road. Thanks uh, a lot. Absolutely, looking forward to. Thanks a lot, Twig. Okay, thanks. So. All right, take care. Bye.